You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, friends, and welcome to episode 508 of the Locked On Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Rowland. It is Thursday, and um, by the time you listen to this, now it will be Friday, but I'm recording this a little bit earlier in the day on Thursday, and I'm not at my normal recording studio. So uh, my apologies if the audio is a little bit different than normal, but hopefully it sounds all right on your end of the line. And uh, it's Friday as you're listening to this, so uh, hello, and uh, here we go to have some fun on today's podcast. With no game in between the last pod and this pod, um, the agenda on today's program is basically some mailbag questions, a couple of which are more big picture <laughs> A little bit longer answers, etc., and a couple of them sort of combine a bunch of questions that I've gotten together about a couple of topics. So just a heads up on that. Also, the Hawks play, as you listen to this on Friday, I'll be playing Friday evening against the Philadelphia 76ers on the road. That's a tough spot for the Hawks in a lot of ways. They're about 13-point underdogs as I record this, and uh, an uphill battle to be sure. We will definitely talk more about that game on a future episode of the pod. But uh, here we are, and the first question comes from Brooks. And um, it is, if the Hawks trade Dwayne Dedman, they have plenty of options at center, but what happens if the Hawks trade Jeremy Lin and they don't get a point guard back? Will Trey Young suddenly be playing 40 minutes a night? What happens in that scenario? Um, first, I would agree that if the uh, Hawks did trade Dedman, I think they'd have plenty of depth to operate, even if they didn't get a, a center in return. They do have, obviously, Alex Lin, they have John Collins, they have Amari Spellman, they have Miles Plumley at some point coming back, even Alex Poitras in the G League, so they have some bodies in the front court, and that wouldn't be a big thing. And honestly, I think that it's probably still the most likely and the easiest scenario for the Hawks to trade Deadman rather than anybody else on the roster because he's only making about $7 million or so, and it's an expiring deal. So I think Deadman's pretty movable. We'll see if that happens in the future, but I would probably brace yourself for that um, as a, maybe not a huge likelihood, but something that I think is uh, definitely within the realm of possibility to be sure with Deadman. Um, as for Lynn, I think it's going to be a little bit more complicated to trade him I think you're already hearing some buzz. There's been some rumblings out there from uh, people around the league that he could be available. Obviously, something that's not new to everyone listening to this podcast. I'm sure you've already heard that or talked about it with someone or heard me talk about it before. I will say it could be complicated in some ways because of the fact that he's making quite a bit of money. It's about $13 million or more um, for Lynn. He's an expiring contract, but in the NBA, you have to match salary on trade, and that makes it more difficult because I, I think Lynn is a reasonable value on his deal. It's not like he's crazily overpaid, but the fact that you have to match on that makes it tough for someone who probably is going to be coming in as a um, as a as a starter on some teams, but for the most part, like full blown, you know, playoff contenders probably would, ha- would have Lynn, Lynn coming off the bench. A couple of teams might want him to uh, push for the playoffs, like maybe Orlando has been linked to him a little bit. But other than that, it's a, it's a spot where not a lot of teams can take on 13 plus million um, and give the Hawks something back that won't just kill the Hawks in the future. So that's something to at least say out loud. And uh, yeah, here we are on that. But um, as far as the question is concerned, the Hawks would, of course, have Jalen Adams as a backup point guard, but the Hawks only have two point guards total on the roster at this point. Jalen is a uh, is a two-way player, and um, as, as a true rookie, he was undrafted out of St. Bonaventure. He's been a functional G League player, to be sure, but I don't, I don't think you want him as a primary backup point guard in the NBA, even only, even for only like two months, which is what it would be. Even if, if, if Lynn was traded in early February, you're talking about two months of games, you know, they could function in that in that way, but Adams is also on a two-way contract, so he is a, a ticking time clock as a result of that as well. They also could add someone, and I think they probably would add someone in some way, whether it be a trade, a minor trade, or a signing of someone in the, in the G League or off the scrap heap, somebody's a free agent, somebody from Europe, et cetera, et cetera. 
I think it wouldn't be a huge investment there probably. And I think Adams would probably get a chance somewhere along the way to play some backup point guard stuff in the absence of Jeremy Lin with Trey with Young as the only full-time point guard. But um, honestly, the only, the, I guess the biggest issue would come into play if you lost Lin via trade or buyout, and you suddenly had Young on your roster as the only major point guard, and if Young got hurt for any length of time, you'd be in some real trouble. Obviously, they can function, and the wins and losses don't really matter, but you have to have someone on the floor that can sort of facilitate for others and help others play better. I think you see that now with the Hawks at times, where... Um, you know, if they had to go into a season, uh, at least they extended, extended the part of the season without a point guard, you'd have some trouble for John Collins and Kevin Herter and others to get open and have some stuff generated for them. So, you know, something to just keep in mind there. I know they have gone to Bembry and Baysmore at, at point guard, so to speak, in the uh, in the games in which Lynn missed early in the year and if they had some emergency stuff with foul trouble, etc. But um, that would be an option in a short-term sense. But in a long-term sense, you want to have, I think, this is me talking, I think you'd rather, you'd rather have someone else that can function at a reasonable NBA level, whether it be Bronte Weber or something like that. Somebody that's just been sort of kicking around the league. I used campaign as an example early on. Obviously, he's now, he's now on a roster, but somebody like that that's just been recently cut from an NBA team or traded and bought out, etc., could be a nice option for Atlanta. Campaign isn't anything special. And by the way, it's probably not going to be somebody special if the Hawks have to move on from Lindvia trade and uh, try to sign somebody, but just something, probably having a body in there that's an NBA-level point guard would be a good idea. Um, that's probably enough on that question. Uh, the next one is sort of a combined question in some ways. I had a couple of people ask me the same thing. It basically, they were asking me if I saw the most recent ESPN mock draft, and I did see it. I tweeted about it a little bit. I didn't share my real thoughts on what transpired. I'm not trying to get too deep into mock draft stuff in January, but I think it's a good opportunity in some ways to talk about some of the guys that are involved. And ESPN is, of course, the most, pro- the most prominent outlet. Those guys do a great job. Um, the former the former Draft Express guys, they do they do fantastic work. It's not like they're uh, drilling down super deep on guys at this point in the year other than the top guys, but the mock drafts are uh, instructive for discussion points and allows me to talk about some guys. And uh, I am, again, in charge of um, draft coverage for Dime this year. So I've been doing mock drafts. I did one last week that's uh, fairly interesting, I think, hopefully, <laughs> at least only first-round mock drafts. This ESPN was a two-rounder, and the Hawks have a lot of picks in this draft. So let's start at the bottom, actually. Let's sort of build here. So the Hawks picked up uh, with their three second-round picks in this class. They have the Lakers pick, which is actually the less favorable of Minnesota and, L- and L.A., which is probably going to be L.A., I'd imagine. And they have the Charlotte pick, um, which is from the Dwight Howard trade, and then the um, their own second-round pick, which is probably going to be the best of the three, I would imagine, at this point in time. So with the 45 and 46, which is what they fell in this projection, um, the Hawks picked up Simi Shitu um, of Vanderbilt and Carson Edwards of Purdue. Um, Simi is a big man, um, a 6'10", 7'1", wingspan guy. I wish Darius Garland, who was a, who actually still is a lottery projection point guard freshman who was actually out for the season for Vanderbilt. I wish he was playing to get a better feel of how um, Simi would be, would be playing offensively right now, but he's kind of, he kind of struggled there a little bit. I think 45 would be a good spot for him and a pretty good value. I think he, I, I have him somewhere in the mid to late 30s, so that represents some pretty good value if you're trying to find that. If you're the Hawks at 45, it's, it's again, way too early to talk about specific stuff there, but he's an interesting prospect. Carson Edwards is definitely um, a more seasoned player. I think there's a ton of value offensively with him. He's a very famous college player. He's been very, very good at Purdue for a while now. He's pretty small, though. Um, I will say I think he's more of a small two-guard than an actual lead guard in the NBA, but he's a shot maker. I worry about his defense, to be sure, but I think if you know him in the mid, him in the mid second round would be a good value. I think he's probably an NBA player, albeit a lower end one. 
think of they're not. It's not a perfect comp, but I think of think of someone with uh, the same kind of problems that Tyler Dorsey has in some ways, and that just they're not the biggest guy in the world. Edwards is definitely better with the ball in his hands, I think, than Dorsey. Dorsey's a little bit bigger than Edwards. Just something to follow away there. I think he's def- he's going to have to be an offense first player at the NBA level, which is not a big surprise. But at forty six and forty five, I think that's probably a pretty good um, haul for Atlanta um, there. At 33, which is the Hawks' own pick, ESPN projected Quentin Grimes from Kansas. Um, he's 6'5 with 6'7 wingspan. I actually had him in the lottery before the season started. He was a really, really good and intriguing high school and AAU um, sort of UIBL kind of player. But he's been really bad this season. I will say he's coming around a little bit recently. He's um, still a lot, of, a lot of skills, I think, a lot of projection from Grimes. He was pretty terrible early on, though. Lost playing time, etc. And I think he's gotten buried as a result of that in mock draft settings. There are signs, though, he's breaking out a little bit. Kansas is uh, pretty weird to evaluate players. I always say that about Kansas in the Bill Self era. It doesn't mean that everyone's... Um, not able to break out there, but you've seen a lot of guys kind of be big-time recruits that kind of fade away a little bit at Kansas. You know, Kelly Oubre was one. He was a five-star and still went in the lottery, but or actually post-lottery, but uh, around that around that range, but was not a good college player, for instance. There's a lot of those kind of examples. Even guys like Andrew Wiggins, who ended up going at the top of the draft, wasn't fantastic in college. He had some nice moments at times, but um, guys just don't look as great as they probably should at Kansas. So that's something to keep in mind with Grimes, but... I think people are overreacting just a little bit. I had him in the lottery. I mentioned before that, before the season. He's not there anymore, but I think, actually, I still have him as a late first-rounder at this point in time, meaning that at 33, it'd be pretty good value for Atlanta. Obviously, it's too early to talk about that in a um, really serious way, but I think Grimes would be an interesting flyer for the Hawks to take at 33. The other two picks, um, of course, are Atlanta's first-round pick, their own pick, and then, of course, Dallas's pick um, that's actually um, at least likely to... um, convey at this point in time. I guess there's still a chance that Dallas lands in the top five, um, either by lottery or if they just completely implode down the stretch. But I think it's um, more likely than not at this point that Dallas is going to be sending that pick to Atlanta. And, and this is and this scenario was actually at number 10 overall. And they had the Hawks. ESPN has the Hawks taking Sekou Demboya. He's a very interesting player. He, I have him more in the late lottery or, or the early post-lottery range for me. But you can find some people that have him in the top six, seven, eight picks. He's a... Uh, I think he's going to be the, probably the first pick um, in terms of guys who are outside of America playing right now in this draft. He's very young. He's 6'11". Uh, he's talented offensively. He actually has a thumb injury at the moment, so he's not really playing, at, um, at least for a while here. He's very, very young, though, which is worth noting. He has, he has good upside, but not particularly safe pick. I think the Hawks are in a good spot in some ways to take a flyer on a player like that because they have so many picks um, this year and probably in the future as well. And just Atlanta has a lot of young talent. They can afford to take a big swing, especially because they have that top you know, projected top five pick of their own as well. So if they go a little bit safer there, they could take a big swing at 10. I'm not sure that it has to be Demboya. It could be Bol Bol. It could be somebody like that. But um, that's just something to throw out there as well. And then the headliner, of course, at number three overall in this projection, the Hawks, um, I think um, at this point in time, you know, 538 has them at number five, for instance. They're going to be somewhere in the top seven picks. Um, you know, it's worth saying just again now, the the lottery odds are flatter this year. Um, for instance, it's more likely um, if you're, for a team picking number one overall in this class that they would be outside the top four than they would be inside the top four. That's pretty crazy. Um, just something to keep in mind. There's a lot of uh, fluidity there. So I will say I'm projecting somewhere in the top seven picks. Obviously, it would be better if the Hawks picked earlier than that. I have sort of a top four. I mean, I, I will say the number one pick in the draft is pretty clear in my mind right now. It was Zion Williamson. But after that, there's probably like a four-player tier 
whether it be uh, R.J. Barrett, Nas Little, Cam Reddish, and I think um, for me, Jarrett Culver's in there as well from Texas Tech. He's sort of a monster. I, I'm a big fan of his. But in this spot, without going too deep on those guys for now, we're going to save a little, bit, a little bit of that for later on in the process, of course. In this spot, it was the uh, Hawks taking Nas Little at number three overall from North Carolina. He's 6'6 or so with a 7'1 wingspan. Uh, this is a uh, shout-out to Tower Jones, who's a North Carolina fan and talks about this all the time. But um, I wish he was playing more. Uh, UNC's going veteran heavy in the front court. I think I, you know it's tough to like fully blame them because they do have some really good upperclassmen at the college level. But it's I wish that Roy was playing Nas Little more because he just has no reason not to. Not the perfect situation though to evaluate Nas Little at this point in time, which makes it tough um, for everybody involved in the draft process. But his numbers are pretty good actually. Still, he's not playing as much as you would want. But I think 19, 20 minutes a game, pretty efficient, pretty strong production wise. But just the numbers don't look you know the raw numbers don't look great. He's not he's just not playing all that much. He's a great athlete. I think he can shoot a little bit. I haven't been, I haven't been in a tier behind Zion, of course, but I think he's definitely in that next group somewhere. There's still a long way to go in this process, but I would be okay with the Hawks taking him at three. If the season ended today, all that fun stuff, I'm not sure I would like go to the mat for anybody right now at number three overall, but I think Nas Little would be a perfectly reasonable choice. I actually projected him to the Hawks at number four in my uh, most recent mock draft. Again, it's way too early for like firm team projection kind of stuff, but I think that would make some sense given where the Hawks are at this point in time. He does a lot of things well. Doesn't take too, doesn't take too much off the table, and the Hawks could sort of use that kind of player. So, and I know that's sort of a lot of information to throw out there um, in the middle of a podcast, but I think it's a, a pretty interesting group, and uh, we'll talk more about the draft, of course, as we get going here. Uh, one more big question to tackle after the break, but I do want to tell you guys to subscribe to the podcast. It's been great. I've seen a lot of growth in there, and I really appreciate that. But please check out the entire network. Check out the podcast, Apple Podcast, Stitcher. Tune Radio, Spotify, all those places, you know, Overcast. There's a lot of places you can listen to podcasts. Hopefully you will uh, find one that suits your interest. And uh, after the short break, we'll come back and ask, answer one more big question about the Atlanta Hawks. Okay, and we're back to talk about one more big topic on the pod. And the uh, last question comes from Edward. And he says, I know this doesn't exist, but what if there was an all-sophomore team in the NBA? Would John Collins make the first team? Would he be on the second team? Where would he fall among the sophomore class? I do think, you know, obviously last year he was uh, not a first-team all-rookie guy. I think that was, uh, I made an argument on this podcast that he probably could have been there. Um, I wasn't outraged by it, but I think, I think he probably had a decent case to be there. I will say, at this point in time, there's only a couple second-year players that have been, like, definitively better uh, slash more valuable than Collins this year. I think De'Aaron Fox has been incredible. He's been the best player, I think, in my opinion, of all the of all the uh, second-year players. This season only um, has been Fox. He's been leading a team in Sacramento that has no business competing for the playoffs that actually is, which is pretty crazy. I think the other one is Ben Simmons. I think Simmons is a better prospect than Fox, than Fox in some ways, and uh, he hasn't been great, great this year, and obviously there's a lot of sort of wins around him and fit stuff and Philly, all that fun stuff. But Simmons is still a tremendous prospect, a pretty good player. He just can't shoot, which I understand, but he's still a pretty, pretty darn good prospect. Um... Other than that, I think Donovan Mitchell will be the next guy on the list. You know, Mitchell was really, really good as a rookie. This year he's not been so good. He's been uh, a lot more inefficient. I think he's going to probably come on at some point. I've never been the hugest Mitchell fan, but he was obviously really good last year. Tough to ignore that in a vacuum. And still still averaging about 21 points a game, even in a down year right now. So I think he would be there as well. That's three of the five that you would put on an all-sophomore team. I think the other contenders before we get to Collins would be, you know, Jason Tatum. He's cooled off quite a bit this year as a shooter. Much different situation than Collins, but I think he hasn't made the same impact. Obviously, it's a playoff caliber team, and he has a lot more talent around him. 
but Tatum hasn't been so good this year, in my opinion. You know, Laurie, Laurie Markkinen is another guy who's often compared to John Collins. He is not. He's actually played less than Collins has. Only 18 games. He was banged up for a while, and for me, he hasn't been as good as Collins this year. I'm on record as saying Kyle Kuzma is pretty overrated in some corners of the internet. But, of course, he was really good on Wednesday, which is something that's probably a bad time to talk about him. I'd rather have Collins than Kuzma. I've been saying that for a long time now. I'm sure that's sort of a hot take in some circles. But I think um, Collins is a better prospect. Kuzma is very valuable, though, in some ways. He can really score it. Doesn't do a lot, whole lot else, but he can definitely score the basketball. Um, last couple of guys that I want to at least mention would be Jared Allen. I really like him. I always have. A lot of similar numbers to Collins, but Collins has a much, much higher score rate, scoring rate right now. You know, Allen's a good rebounder. I think he's a better defender than Collins, but Collins is just better around the rim and scoring it, more versatile offensively. I think I'd give him the nod in that um, that head-to-head right now as well. And then uh, Bogdanovich out in Sacramento is 26 years old. He's been awesome. I think he's probably better than some of these guys right now because he's just more of a veteran, even though he's only in his second season. But um, there's something to point out there. He's been actually playing a lot less than Collins, though, which is uh, something to keep in mind here. And um, that's basically it in terms of, of contenders. There are other guys who are definitely more famous. You know, Dennis Smith has actually been a little bit better than he was last year, for sure, but pretty inefficient still. You have guys like um, Lonzo Ball, who's not been great. Obviously, he's a shooter. He has nice value other, in other places, but just had, you know, that's kind of tough to, to bank on without any shooting or creation from him. Of his, of his own shot, I should say. You have Marco Fultz. That situation's been kind of a mess. Josh Jackson's been pretty bad. Freight Nelikina has been kind of lost in the wilderness in New York. Zach Collins, Malik Monk, Luke Kennard, Josh Jackson, Justin Patton, DJ Wilson, uh, DJ Leaf all went ahead of Collins and all, all would be pretty clearly behind him at this point in time. So a pretty impressive start for John Collins. And I will say definitively that, yes, he would definitely be a first-team all-sophomore if the season ended today. You know, Some of that's the fact that he hasn't played as much as some of these guys have, because he was banged up early on, but I think it's pretty clear he's been a top five sophomore in the league. And that includes Ben Simmons, who isn't even in the same draft class. So if you want draft class only, he would definitely be there. And obviously, I think he would still be there anyway, even with Simmons involved. So that answers the question. I do want to take a little bit further here. Um, I think uh, I got a lot of all-star questions about John Collins in the last couple of weeks. That doesn't really surprise me. He's been the best player on the Hawks this year. And of course, Hawks fans want to talk about Hawks. So I get that. I wanted to sort of lay it out, lay it out a little bit um, in terms of uh, what he uh, his what his case would be if you were trying to put him in the All Star game right now. He's averaging 19 and 11 a game. That's really impressive for anyone. Obviously, he's uh, 21 years old, averaging 19 and 11. 25 games is a little bit less than a lot of these All Star guys have played because of the injury that he's had. But I, I think you know missing time, not being on a good team, and it, it, he's just not quite on the level of All Star status just yet. He could be on his way there to be sure, and, and the production's been really really good. This year, but I think just at the top here, before I get a little bit deeper, I don't think he's really quite on that level just yet. The guys among the East front court players, that's how the uh, the uh, voting and the selection breaks down is front court, back court, and I, I'm assuming they're going to take seven front court players. Um, the three that are absolute locks for me would be Giannis, Joel Embiid, and Kawhi Leonard. Um, uh, after that, I think. Um, Nick Vucevic and Orlando has been fantastic this year. He's been their best player and it's just played a lot more than Collins has. They have kind of similar numbers, but he's just played a ton more minutes on a team that's been better than the Hawks so far. Blake Griffin, Jimmy Butler, Chris Middleton are all guys that I'd rather have than Collins for this year in terms of all-star status for different reasons without going too deep on those. Um, probably, I would say Collins is in a similar tier uh, of guys like um, Demonis Sabonis, Miles Turner, Andre Drummond, Serge Ibaka, Pascal Siakam, even Al Horford, who, uh, you know, old friend. He's actually been begged up a little bit, but Horford still played more minutes than Collins has this season, for instance. Collins has been really productive and uh, has better raw points and rebound stats than most of the guys on that little mini list that I just said. 
but defensively, he's not as good as someone like Horford, um, you know, or Siakam, and you know, just those guys are on just on better teams. So traditionally, All Star stuff is just focused on on the better teams more than the teams who are outside the lottery, et cetera, et cetera. And also, he's a second year player, so he's not going to get the benefit of the doubt in the comparisons to guys that are more established like that. Just just kind of the reality of the situation. He'd certainly be somewhere in that like eight to twelve range among Eastern Conference frontcourt players, which is again really impressive for someone who is uh, 21 years old. The fact that we're even having this, this, this discussion in year two with John Collins as, as a number 19 overall pick is very, very cool. And I have to say that again. The fact that we're even having the, the discussion is really, really cool and really exciting for Hawks fans about Collins. I'm not sure I would project him as an every-year all-star moving forward still, but you know he's 21 years old. He's averaged 19 and 11 with 63, 63% true shooting. That is really, really impressive. I'm all for pointing out flaws for guys. I think listeners know... Then I sort of push back on the extremes in either direction. Um, when I feel like the fans have gone too far negative, I try to go positive. When people have gone too far positive, I try to pull it back a little bit. That's definitely happening with Collins, I think, a little bit now. I was definitely wrong about John Collins and that draft pick. I didn't you know, blast the Hawks for doing it, but I thought there were other options that I would have preferred. And at this point in time, he's been better than those options that I, that I was laying out. And it's just, obviously, they nailed this pick. There's really no way around that. At number 19 overall, it's huge value. Even if he's just the player that he is now, it's a huge home run pick. No question about that. So I was wrong about that. I will say that again. I've said it before, but I'll say it again now. I think it's really impressive what he's done this year, how hard he plays is really... Um, again, impress is the right word for it. I think it's uh, almost admirable just how hard he's been playing on a team that's not going to be very good this year. I think uh, that sets a nice uh, culture tone for your team just to have one of your best players and not your best player. I think he has been the best player this year. Playing that hard all the time is a very, very good sign. I think the defense definitely still um, worries me a little bit from a team-building perspective. That's something I have to point out. I've uh, heard some national guys, and even on this podcast, people have pointed out that um, you know I have too about his defense and how that is a concern in some ways. I think he's going to have to improve on that end of the floor. I think he's going to have to either do that or shoot better or both to reach where he's going to reach. But the raw production is what it is. He's been really, really good so far, and I think that's uh, worth pointing out in this space just kind of plainly. So... All that to say, I'll be here to rein you in <laughs> if, uh, he, if if sort of the hype train gets out of hand. There were some folks that were actually mad that Collins wasn't a top 10 vote getter for the All-Star game. And I think people actually are, are sort of baked into the fact that they think he's going to be an All-Star selection. I don't think he's going to get there. I'll be honest with you. I don't think he probably should get there this year. You know, In the future, it's certainly on the table. That's something that's, again, very impressive and uh, very noteworthy. But I think it's also fair to enjoy this. If you're a Hawks fan, he's been fantastic this year. It's really nice to hit on that kind of pick, uh, especially early in a regime change. That was Travis Schlenk's first draft selection, and it's uh, obviously a home run, so shouts to him on that pick. Um, I think it's probably enough on Collins for now, but he's awesome, uh, has been really awesome this year, and uh, we'll see how that manifests moving forward. There are issues that he's going to have to uh, correct to uh, reach his ultimate ceiling and actually be an all-star, but for now, he's uh, simply being... Very productive at 21 and uh, very, very nice uh, sort of baseline for the Hawks there. So that's probably enough on today's podcast. Hopefully you guys got something out of those uh, couple of mailbag questions that I wanted to answer. I will say as a pro- programming note, I mentioned this a little bit early on in the, in the week, but I will not have a, an immediate recap podcast of the Friday night game. I'll be on an airplane actually when the game transpires and then I'll be uh, out of town for the weekend. I am going to recap the Friday night game and the Sunday afternoon game in one podcast that will go up on Monday. Uh, So hopefully you will uh, subscribe and uh, go ahead and uh, sort of pencil that in so that when it drops, you'll have it in your feed. So just as a programming note, no new podcast. If something crazy were to happen, I will try to record remotely from uh, from out of town. But at the very least, we'll come back Sunday night into Monday morning. You'll have a recap of what transpired over the weekend. Tell your friends about the pod. Please subscribe to the pod. Thank you for listening, as always, and we'll see you guys after the weekend.